fans and welcome to shut up and wrestle an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories i am your host brian r solomon and this is episode 46 another trip down the titan tower memory lane as my guest is another wwe magazine colleague of mine mr marco torelli who we will get to in just a moment for the time being, before we get to that, I've, I don't have anything to plug this week, um, but I do have a little soapbox that I want to step on here. I have a little uh, high horse that I'm going to climb on for a minute. In the wake of the release of the 2022 Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame inductees that just came out um, a few days ago, I voted in this. I have voted in it in the past for a number of years now, maybe about seven or eight years, and you know, looking at the inductees this time around and looking at what's happened uh, based on the available candidates, it occurs to me, I think, that some kind of executive action needs to be taken in order to keep this Hall of Fame relevant and to get people in there that belong in there and that are being criminally overlooked. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of the historical candidates, particularly looking at U.S. and Canada uh, historical candidates. Specifically, there were none. There were none voted in this year. Uh, the inductees are, as I'm reading them off now, Akira Tue and Toshiaka Kawada. And by the way, I want to say all deserving nominees here, but maybe deserving in a later year. Uh, also, Mystico slash Karistico, Tetsuya Naito, who's a current New Japan star, Kota Ibushi, same for him, Los Vianos, and Rollerball Mark Rocco. Uh, again, very deserving candidate, I thought, and um, one that I actually voted for. But uh, now we're looking at a list where all of the inductees now are from the worlds of Japanese wrestling, Lucha Libre, and UK, uh, which is great. But uh, conspicuous by their absence are the host of uh, U.S. and Canadian historical candidates that just seem to get overlooked every year, whether it be as a result of structural voting issues with certain categories harder to get enough votes than others um also recency bias and people voting who who really maybe are not as informed as they should be on the earlier eras of pro wrestling uh history because if you look at this list and like i said um not a single uh personage from u.s and canadian wrestling historical or modern represented here um and you're looking at people that didn't get in, people that a lot of us vote for every year, like Wild Bull Curry, June Byers, uh, more recently the Steiner Brothers, the Junkyard Dog, um, Antonino Rocca and Miguel Perez, who were who should have gone in first ballot this year because the this is the first year that that um, Dave put a lot of tag teams on the ballot and they didn't. And if you look at the reason why. Um, 
you see part of the problem because what happened is they were the number one vote getters among retired pro wrestlers. They were the number two vote getters among historians, which would have been would have meant that they were would be a shoe in. But their voting, the votes they got among active current wrestlers was such a low number that it dragged down their ranking so far that they wound up not even getting enough votes to go in. Now, I think there's something wrong with that. I think, you know, look, we've got a lot of people who are in the business now or who are younger people or who are not historians, let's say, who maybe, you know, they they, they really can't consider themselves experts on the earlier eras of pro wrestling. And there's nothing wrong with that. They have areas of expertise. Uh, but if your if your real knowledge of the business only goes back two or three decades, you're not going to be qualified to vote on a lot of those earlier candidates. And I think for the historical categories in particular, those votes should be restricted to people who are historians, who are writers, who are informed in those categories. Otherwise, this problem is simply going to continue. Um, I can think of so many others, Sputnik, Monroe, Black Gordman and Goliath. Um, I personally champion Sergeant Slaughter every single year. Um, how can you have a wrestling hall of fame without Sergeant Slaughter in it? Enrique Torres, who is a you know, major California star now dropping off the ballot because he didn't get enough votes. Big Daddy in the UK, very close to having that happen. In years past, you've already had people like Fabulous Moolah and Gorilla Monsoon who long ago fell off the ballot. Um, the Grand Wizard still languishing on the ballot, never getting enough votes to go in. Bobby Davis, the original and quintessential heel wrestling manager. You get the picture here. There, um, Something needs to change, and I think it's a combination of what I said with the structural changes maybe to the voting system. I also think that just flat out some kind of executive action needs to take place. Like, for example, this year, Dave stepped in and inducted two um, promoters who uh, were not even on the ballot, um, and that would be Carnation, Lou Darrow, and um, who's the other one? Johnny Doyle. Both very, very deserving, but you know, Dave took it upon himself, like I said, as an executive action to say, these two people are going in. And I think there really needs to be more of that because a lot of these historical people, especially with the way the voting is set up now, are simply never going to get in. And I think that is a shame because moving forward, you're going to just see more and more kind of wrestlers from just the last couple of decades going in. Um, a lot of uh, international wrestlers because the the hurdle to get in is a little bit easier and the voting pool is, e is, is smaller for those categories. Um, something needs to be fixed here. It's a little bit frustrating because I do believe that the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame has a place. It's very important. I do think it's prestigious. It's been around a long time. It's got a um, the method of inducting people is definitely more legitimate than than many wrestling halls of fame. Where it, you know, for example, a WWE one where it's just sort of been the the decisions of of one person essentially. So I think it's a valuable institution. It just has to be protected because uh, um, an inductee class like we've seen this year, no offense to those inductees who would all in my mind eventually be worthy, um, more or less. There are so many more deserving people from earlier eras who are being criminally overlooked and left out every year. And I I'm hoping that will change in the years to come because I do plan to continue to vote and to continue to champion these people. So. 
having said that, I'm going to get down off my horse, step down off the soapbox. And, you know, I'm glad we can have debates like this. I mean, that's the great thing about wrestling history and the study of wrestling history. So I've said my piece. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, speaking of saying my piece, I'm going to be saying my piece with my next guest this week, who is um, someone I've known for a very long time. And we always have fun talking. I think when you hear this interview, you'll see how much fun we've always had. As I said last week, if you don't know who this person is, by the end of this interview, you will be glad you found out. And I just have to say, we were laughing after we did this recording because there's so much we left out. Because when old friends get together and start talking again, you know, the conversation flows. And before you know it, you leave things out. You know, I just want to say that Marco was uh, and is, but was at WWE, a great graphic designer. He did a lot of uh, design work in magazines and also merchandise and creative services. And we never even really got into that stuff. We were so busy just doing talking about our, our backgrounds and our, our wrestling fandom and just crazy wrestling stories from the office. But Marco, you know, next time I have him on, we'll have to talk more art because especially, uh, and people should know this, Marco designed the cover to my very first book, which was WWE Legends, which I wrote uh, when I was still working there. And sadly, they kind of screwed up his credit because if you look at that book, if you have it on the back cover, they list the, the credit for the designer and it's not Marco, which was a mistake. But I'd like to correct that mistake here and now. Marco Torelli designed the cover of WWE Legends and it's a great cover. You should get that book, by the way. It's available on Amazon. Anyway, let's get to the interview now with Marco Torelli. And I'm going to take you to it right away. Okay, so this week on Shut Up and Wrestle, it is my pleasure to welcome uh, somebody who I had the honor and privilege to work with for years at WWE. Uh, One of always, even though he may not realize it because I annoyed the shit out of him on a regular basis, always one of my favorite people at WWE uh, because first and foremost, he was a fan of the business. He was interested and passionate about the wrestling business more than most people that I worked with there. And there were a lot of people that I worked with there that were fans, but, but he was somebody who had a a big part to play in my becoming more of a smart fan than the Mark that I was when I got to WWE, um, a long time graphic designer. I got to know him from the magazine days because he was working on public in the publications department with me. Then he went on to creative services and to do a lot of other graphic design work at WWE, which we'll talk about. But also, like I said, first and foremost, somebody who followed and is passionate about the wrestling business. So it's always a pleasure to talk to him. Um, We often knew him as tough guy Torelli. But his parents called him Marco Torelli, and I'd like to welcome Marco Torelli to Shut Up and Wrestle right now. Bissau, thank you. It's a privilege and an honor after, uh, what's it been, 15 glorious years when I said goodbye to you. <laughs> I know. And to bigger and better things. Yeah, um, and you went to Wine Enthusiast, and you're still there, right, all these years? I, I did, yeah, and I and I am, Yes. It's been a hell of a run there. They gave me the book, got the pencil. <laughs> See, that's the other thing that I always loved Broke about it you. A few times. <laughs> you. You did this to me. So I, I talk in wrestling terms all the time. And I think I probably learned it well, from you because, like, I even have uh, my, my wife doing it. Like, my <laughs> wife will talk sure. about, like, getting over or, like, 
she'll tell me if if our kid if if our kid walks in the room on on something she'll go kayfabe you know she'll do things like oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely i actually I, I, I got uh, you know and and you had the pleasure of coming in and spending some time with me there here and there over yes. the years right that's right and yeah. uh, and, and if you recall, I had everybody smartened up over there as well. They were all speaking the language. Yeah, and that's true. You did at, at, at Wine Enthusiast. You, you heard Cherwinski throwing kayfabe around one time when he saw somebody walking around the corner and we were talking about him. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about wrestling slang and like carny terms and things. Some of those terms are so expressive and they and they get to the point of what you're trying to say better than anything else. Like it just it just is exactly what you are trying to say in a way that you can't say in without saying a lot more words so for, it, <laughs> well for those of us who were who were raised by old schools and you know in my case sicilians it's always good to have that that other language that other lingo that you can speak right my grandparents would always talk my grandparents would always either speak in like broken Sicilian because, you know, they were born, they were born here or they would talk in pig Latin when they didn't want me to know what they were saying. And mm -hmm. so, like, I'm not so good <clears throat> at the well, Sicilian, but the pig Latin I can do. <laughs> Got you ready for Carney. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is. Wow. That is something I was never able to do. I'm I'm in awe of the guys that could do that. And I don't even think, honestly, that the young wrestlers today probably know how to do it. But. They would there would be levels to it where so, I've talked about this before, where like when you when you do it, you could either change, you know, the easy way is <clears throat> to change one syllable in the word, right? But the hard way is to change every syllable. And if you hear people do that, where you have a three or four syllable word and everything's got a Z or a ZN in it, I'm like, Yeah, you have more you power have to, to you. Split the word. You know, well, I picked it actually it was uh uh, Louie, that that got me going with that. Luigi and Frida, right? Yeah, we're G, yeah, Luigi and Frida, right? So, well, I mean, I you know, I'd rather just start from the beginning, but yeah, basically, it was like Louie was the guy who came in after I had started. He came back, I should say. They 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 brought Louie back, um, and right. uh, we had Dennis Brent there. So these were like real industry guys. Kevin Kelly, of course um that i picked up a lot of that and of course you know i do have the uh the the distinction of probably being vince russo's last unofficial hire for the magazine so <laughs> that was that, the thing there, there's that yeah when when we were there and especially like i started in 2000 i think didn't you start in 99 i started in uh yeah when was it uh april of 99 Right, because I remember you said it was right oh, before yeah. it was right before Owen Hart died, right? Yeah. Uh yeah, that was right. a rough one. But but the thing is Yeah, when, so when I, I start I, I started, I believe I I, I want to say it was April over the edge was the first pay-per-view. And yeah, I was working on an Owen Hart story uh at the time. Um we were having it illustrated, it was supposed to be a comic book panel. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they, we were really excited about it, got the illustrator in and working on some looks with potentially, I may, I may be making news here, but, um, we, they were supposed to be introducing a, uh, a, a second character, like a, a Robin to his Batman, 
mm. at night. That didn't happen. Like so, like what they did with Rosie and the hurricane, that kind of thing. Similar, yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 another masked, uh, another masked individual. Do you know who it was supposed to be? Uh, can I say that? I don't know. It's twenty four <laughs> years later. I think we're okay. Well, yeah. All right. So I, I, I believe, yeah, we were supposed to bring back Max Mini. Um, oh my god! Yeah, Mascarita. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget what he was doing at the time, but yeah, there, he basically he was going to have the opposite look of Blue Blazer. Um, okay, I still have the I, I have photo I, I have uh, color color copies of those sketches. Still to yeah. this day, I found it in my one one of my many boxes for moving around the office. <laughs> so I mean, I came uh, in that about- was a hard day that that come, coming in. You know, I, I I was watching that pay per view at my brother's house, and uh, uh, that was, that was a hard day driving in. Uh, I can't even imagine. I I started there nine years. I'm sorry, nine months after that happened, yeah. and there was still a lot of you know, it was still in the air, just with people that had been there at the time and knew about it. Like, I really, it, it was a weird thing. I started nine months after Owen Hart. And I left a month before Chris Benoit. So, like, I didn't oh. have to go through either of those things. <laughs> Probably the roughest thing that I remember happening while I was there was Eddie dying. That was a big one in 2005. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was over it. I believe I was gone at that point. What year was that again? That was, like, fall of 2005. I think you were still there. I, no, I was still there, huh? Yeah. Because I think you left in 06. Because I want to say... Because our yeah, I our new I, regime, I left November of '06, <clears throat> right? Because our publication's new regime started at the beginning of '06, and I'm positive that you were still there because I would come to you oh, and yeah. I would bitch and complain to you constantly about it. I remember that. Yeah, well, I I, I know I'm probably uh, 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 in the minority there, but I loved what they did. As a well, look, <laughs> I'm not saying that they had no great ideas. The magazine looked great, and you don't want to get me started on this. It looked great. It was so cool. The problem was the content. They had no know-how. They had no knowledge of the product. They didn't want to learn about the product. Exactly. They're magazine guys. Right. And they and I will say this. But that was partly why they resented me, because (laughs) I was in tight with everybody. The talent all liked me. And I was always the guy. I became you, basically. I was always the guy who was like, oh, that sucks. That's awful. Don't do that. That's terrible. And they finally were like, Brian, you're like a wet blanket around here. We have to tell you, you are bringing the vibe down. Like, you're bringing everybody down. And They just wanted everyone to say, yes, yes, great idea, awesome. Well, I love of course. It. Yeah. No, you, you definitely you definitely need the one person that shits on everything. So, <laughs> right. I, 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 and it should have been you. But for me... <laughs> Um, had 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 I had that magazine growing up as a kid, oh. <laughs> okay. I, you have to remember I'm a, you know, a visual person too, right? So, right. Uh, but but that to me would have been like highlights for 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 wrestling fans. You're a design that. guy. You're a design yeah. mark. So that was you know exactly. I, I, I know where you're coming yes. from because you know I mean yes, that was their strongest suit, and I would say. The and this is not meant as a slight because I worked with a lot of great designers, including you. But I would say that the look of the magazine definitely 
got you know improved when they were there for sure. That was the one thing oh, that sure. no one could fault them on. It was, oh, it was well, yeah, it was that I you know obviously all right. Let, why don't we start from the beginning? We'll get back to that. What, whatever you say, it's my okay, show, but so, you know you can you know run with it. Well, I mean the beginning for me, I guess right. right. Um, so all right, um, you know I'm a North Jersey guy, and. I consider that, and so yeah, we'll uh, we'll go back to '99, right? So um, I'm from North Jersey, and it's probably arguably arguably the pro wrestling capital of the United States. Wow, that's an inflammatory comment, but yeah, I know. I wanted to get you on that. (laughs) Like I said, arguably, um, very arguably, and I I would say the epicenter is probably Garfield, which is where I where I grew up. (laughs) Oh, totally. Cherry Hill and big, Liv big Morgan spot. will probably give you some heat for that because I used to eat at her mom's pizzeria. Liv That's Morgan, how- undercover yeah. Italian. I just want to say, uh, yes, you know, from Paramus. Right, right. I no, wait, 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 wait. Is it Liv Morgan or Ma- Mandy Rose? I'm. So, I always get them. No, it's Liv Morgan. It's Liv Morgan. Yeah, yeah. They just Liv sold. Morgan. They they just sold Pizza Town USA. There's my there's my plug for it. So, right. Um, but pro- probably the best pizza in North Jersey, in my opinion. And that's a pretty high opinion. Did you ever see her in there? Maybe when she was a kid. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, that's your mom? <laughs> I, not that I know her, but. Real like name, that. real name, Gianna Jean Daddio. So Daddio, she's, a, yes. she's about as whoppy as you could get. And I could say that because I am half Sicilian. So yes. n- nobody get on my case. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I. I would all, I would almost go go so far as to say it might be the wrestling capital of North America, but there is Toronto. That's true. There, yeah, I've heard Toronto, of it. Toronto, they're they're a little bit more hardcore. I've heard they had some wrestling up there in Toronto. Yes, yeah. but yeah, you guys from like Queens and Brooklyn might have issues with that. But we'll take you know. But listen, Mike Johnson had me on on the PW on his PW Insider show, and I mean you. If you went to shows in the New York area in the 90s, you had to know Mike Johnson because I, I, all we talked about was like New York, New Jersey, uh, wrestling scene of the 80s and 90s. Like it was a very niche conversation. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. So let me just tell you about uh, Garfield here because you had probably the guy, the guy who was my wrestling idol. At the time when I was a little kid, this is probably what made me fall in love with wrestling. Was so my my brother had you know he, he was huge 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 wrestling fan, um, and uh, they would run shows in Garfield. That that was one that that was one of the ones on the circuit. And this was probably like seven maybe seventy five seventy six. I can't really remember anymore. He probably still had my brother probably still has the wrestling card. You know with what the show was right, but. Um, here I'd seen Kevin Sullivan hmm. as I believe <laughs> in contention for rookie of the year that year. I'd seen Kevin Sullivan at the show. So of course, you know, when I saw that it was your podcast, it's like, ah, I, I got to listen to this one. But then I was worried that it might be one of the Sullivans from, from WWE, you know, one of no, the it, it, it wasn't Kevin Sullivan, the writer, although I would love <laughs> to have Kevin on. He's a great guy and he still there does stuff. <laughs> he still does stuff for them from time to time. I would love to have the other Kevin Sullivan. That Either or, great. right? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. They, they were two other. There I were two Kevin Sullivans. There was TV Kevin Sullivan and there was 
Kevin Sullivan that, that that worked at the office. I mean, in fairness, in among the Irish, that's like John Smith. You know what I mean? So right, like exactly. it's very <laughs> you're gonna find a lot of Kevin Sullivan's. But I want to say before you go on, because you, you mentioned your brother, and I just want we were yeah. talking about this before, but for people that are listening, if 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 there are people that are long time, long time observers, subscribers, or people on the wrestling classics message board, which I have a feeling for a show like this, there are some people. Marco's older brother is Bert Torelli, who is, like I explained to you, and I don't even think you were aware, is a known name for people that read The Observer and were on the Wrestling Classics message board, as I was. Bert Torelli is a name that people know, So, and he's your older brother, and I'm assuming... He kind of got you into wrestling. Would that be a safe? Oh, of assumption? course. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he he he's six years older than me, and um, I I just base was more or less raised by him. You know, we we were Gen Xers, so we were left to our own <laughs> devices from you know eight a.m. to about five p.m. every day, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of that was just wrestling, 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 and uh, yeah, he. Uh, uh, he was, he, he was also a boys club wrestler. So he'd learned a few things as well and, uh, passed those things on to me. And I was basically pretty much wrestling him and his friends (laughs) from, I I don't know, since I can remember anyway. And, uh, I, I more or less learned how to defend myself that way because there were, you know, some, obviously he knew how to protect somebody, but some of the other kids didn't, you know, they, they thought it was real. And, so they were uh, very unsafe workers. Some of them, they, they were unsafe. So I had to learn how to protect myself at a young age. Yeah. My five-year-old is an extremely unsafe worker. I have to tell you, because we, <laughs> sure. we, we, I show him some moves and things. We, 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 we play around, you know, I mean, I know, I know how to wrestle without, you know, a kid without hurting him that much. I know. Yeah. But he doesn't know how to do that. So exactly. <laughs> he has brutalized me. Let me just tell you. <laughs> he One time he broke the cartilage in my nose, like broke it clean off the bone. Where be soft. You're soft. Was, was, I can't control that. He headbutted me in the face, this kid. You know what he did? <laughs> he had me where he had me pinned down where because usually when I'm wrestling with him i always protect my face because he doesn't uh-huh. know he doesn't know what he's doing he's five you know he's just having fun i always have my arm i always have my arms up because i know at any moment i'm going to catch something in the face so he he did this he had my arms pinned down where i couldn't move and i mean i could if i really wanted to but you know and he just reared back and headbutted me right in the face at, like he didn't think it was going to hurt at all he doesn't you know and my cartilage, it was gross. It was, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have to go to the doctor or anything. It just, it was floating in my nose for a few good months before it reattached <laughs> to the bone. Oh. And I could, I heard it crack. I heard it just go crack. There was no bruising. There was no swelling, nothing. Cause it's just cartilage. It Did just put it back up. It cracked. I tried my best to put it back in place. It seems to be fine. I don't look like my grandfather. So right. I, well, I was going to say your grandfather should have taught you how to fix that. So I know three broke three broken noses as a fighter. My grandfather, who would be the first one to tell you, he was a much better boxing coach than <laughs> boxer. Much, <laughs> much better. He did a lot of looking at the lights. Let's just that's say that's usually how it goes. That's God that's rest his soul. Myself in the design world, I'm, I'm much much better at coaching people than I am at actually doing the work. <laughs> and, and I want to say too, like um, because 
then you you came into the company. I came in not long after you. And, you know, from my perspective, when I got there to publications, um, it was I remember when I met you, one of the first things you did was give me a copy of Fall Guys. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were basically like and you were and it was not just me it was Aaron it was whoever yeah. you were like read this book and i'm right. looking at it going like okay you know i'm at that point in time i hadn't even read the observer yet early 2000 no no i i started when i started working there i um oh that's right i got to stop you for a second yeah my my brother wants the sheep book so oh okay yeah, yeah can... so, so so if there so if there's any swag that you yeah. throw out your guests just just mail it directly to him <laughs> all right we could do that sure now <laughs> now this is going to go out there and every guest is going to ask me for a copy but that's okay <laughs> but um i'd been on the you know the internet i would say for like the same for a lot of people when the montreal screw job happened that mm-hmm. was like the beginning because the internet was really taking off with wrestling and that was the beginning of me and uh, other people going like wow the stuff behind the scenes is more interesting than the stuff on tv like what is happening back there this crazy and so like i had a little bit of an inkling but stuff like fall guys and then like you know wrestling classics then get in the observer and all that it wasn't just getting smartened up it was learning about the history too like though both of those that is book right yeah or was that me giving it to you um, you read that before you got you. You made me aware of the Thes book because oh, I remember okay. the thing that you said, which is so true. When I read it, I found it to be so true. Is that when you read the Thes book, Hooker, and in your head you're reading it, and it's almost like the voice of Ray Liotta narrating Goodfellas. <laughs> right, like, it, yeah. It's so true. It is, and I um I actually got it. Wait, no, you know what that. I'm remembering wrong. I had a copy of Hooker before I came to WWE. You did. Because it was this was before it was published. They couldn't find a publisher, which is ridiculous. I think this is before like Crowbar Press and a lot of those outlets, ECW Press and all that. Yeah. And I um I read it backwards, like 90, 93 or 94. I got it in 98, and I think it was because of Wrestling Classics message board, because I got it from him. I, I I mailed to I wrote him a letter a mm. typed a typed yeah. letter Mr. Luthez mm. I mailed it away he got back to me I with an autographed like manuscript copy like just yep. with Same with sort of like you know looks like it was like made up at Staples or something right and it's signed from Luthez with the date and everything it's a yeah. prized possession but but what I when when I started working at WWE is right around when it finally did get published. That's what I'm thinking I of. See. So I wound up getting, when I interviewed Thez, do you remember when I did that? I, I interviewed Thez yes. when they did the thing, what, because Thez brought Kurt Angle to the Cauliflower Alley Club mm-hmm. and was introducing him around. And in my head, I thought, this is the perfect excuse to be able to interview Luthez. Like, I don't give a damn about Kurt Angle, but he, he works here. It's the, I don't mean that. You know what I mean? Like, that's the angle I could use to get to sure. bend Luthez's ear for like an hour and a half, which I did. And I had like a crowd of people in the office when I, because I had him on, we talked for like 15 minutes about Kurt Angle and Cauliflower Alley. And then I was like, okay. Tell me about Farmer Burns. What what did you hear about him? And what about Dr. Benjamin F. Roller? What about him? 
And and that's what I really wanted to know. And he went on and on. And I got copies of the book from him. I think I got more than one copy of the bound book. I gave one to my grandfather. Like that was an amazing experience talking to him. I, I can imagine. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you were like uh, that was your presence in the office. You were like th- there were fans there and there were like yeah. office suits there. But there were very few in the office really like smartened up newsletter type of fan. Very <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean I I for for me, I guess you could say I that I, I hit all the different but you know, obviously we're sitting here marking out for you know, all, all the old timers and people yep. people are like what the hell? I don't want to listen to this shit. But no, um, no, this is exactly what they want to listen to. Trust me. <laughs> Well, that's this is for like a round, uh, round table, really. I know. I, I keep saying one of these days I'm going to do it, especially now that I splurged and I got the premium Zoom where you could have all these multiple people. Yeah, they got me once. They said you can't go past 40 minutes with with it, and I was yeah. like, all right. Now I have to start paying for it. Paying. Exactly. But I'll do. I, I got to do one where it's like you and Faz and Aaron. That'll yeah, be like the greatest. Get Blenso in there. We, we yeah. I, well, I haven't even had him on yet. I have to have uh, him on first, first as a singles before I put him into a faction with anybody. We, we, we'll get him over first as a singles, and then you know we'll go yes, from there. Of course, yeah, we'll go from there. Introduce him to the audience. Yeah. But yeah. I want to. You brought it up uh, before we started, and oh, I'm, if you were going to say something, I don't. Yeah. Want no. To no. I just want to say, for for me, it was like, um, you know, I, I hit all the different markdums, right? I don't know if that's even a word, but. Uh, you know, I could, I could just be, I, at times I could just enjoy it and just be a mark, right. For, for the shows and, and, and just like, let, uh, just, just buy into whatever they were putting out there. Um, even though, you know, secretly I'm really a, uh, Georgia championship wrestling guy, but <laughs> when I was Northeast of, of course it's, uh, WWF for me at the time, but also, yeah, I would, I would get into the smart mark phase and then of course the 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 bismarck phase which was being a mark for the business itself right right but the beauty that i had that you guys that I, the the great thing i had that you guys didn't have was that i had the exposure to like well i know and you sh- i i could say you did it too but coming into the magazine at that time you know i had russo in there i had uh uh uh, uh ferrara who i talked to occasionally um Terry Taylor was there, right? Wasn't he? Terry Taylor was there. Yeah. But t- t- so, so Terry and Farrar were really more, um, th- th- they were the road guys, right? So I, I, I don't know if they were not Farrar, but maybe Taylor was like m- more of the, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say he was a road agent, but he, he, he was sort of doing double duty that way. And, and still there, by the way. Talk about a survivor. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, you had you had the the those guys that were doing the TV writing that I really didn't see much of them. Um yeah. Russo would drop in maybe a day a week, and I had very little interaction with them because he had left soon after I had gotten there. I, I want to say it was probably so if I got there in April, right? He was gone by June or so, I think it was a, it, it was I think it was a little later because I remember my first interview August was October. Yeah. And he had just left. So I want to say like, because that's why I was hired when Russo left. I think it was August or September of 99. 
all of a sudden, Barry Werner is now in fully in charge of publications. He had been sort of like a yeah, consultant, yeah. I guess. And then right. he started saying, okay, I'm going to bring in some new people and, and we need new people because Ruth has <sighs> gone. Right. He took, I think, Bill Banks with him. He might have taken other people with him. And so I, I was part of the wave of post-Russo hires. Yeah, exactly. Basically. That's what I say. I think, but you know, they they brought blood. So, like, you know, again, Russo was probably I, for for me. I think I was probably like the last quote unquote Russo guy. Yeah. Um, because after that, it, it was the other guy who who started to hire, making all the hires. Uh, right. Called the Syracuse Club. Uh, <laughs> And one of those is still left, Frank Vitucci, the very last yes. hire. He wasn't a Syracuse. He wasn't from the Syracuse club, though. Right. <laughs> well, well, but, let me let me ask you this about Rousseau because, and and you know, whatever you you're comfortable talking about, because I always yeah. feel, for me, people always ask me about him. Oh, you worked for WWF magazine. You were in publications. What was Vince Russo like? And I, of course, I never worked with him, and I've never even crossed paths with him in all these years of doing wrestling things. Wow. What was, I mean, I remember the things that I used to hear from people in publications who did work with him. What was your experience of working with him as limited as he was maybe in the office by that? Point? Yeah. So, so at that point he was definitely more road. So right. uh, uh, I'll throw the other guy out there and I'll say again, for me, it was like, I I'm just going to go back to when, when I went in for the, for the job interview and getting hired real quick, because yeah. I, 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 I definitely want to throw that name out. Um, I was brought in. I, I, I thought I was applying for the mag for the magazine position. Um when I applied for the job. Um, but I was actually brought in by Deborah Debbie D, who's Deborah Jazway, who's one of your first guests. That's right. Interview. So I interviewed with her and Eric Simon, who I'm still friends with to this day. And actually, we were uh just over the weekend at the Simons with and and the Valuz had come. So it was like, you know, oh, we, we nice. we've it, it, it was like high school class because I <laughs> met my wife there. Uh, 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 Jen and Joe, the of Augustine and Valu, they you know they met up there. Eric and Christine, Christine, uh, his wife, uh, I believe, was uh, designing the uh, the wardrobe, and yeah. I, I think she did Undertaker's uh, 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 what was it, his warlord costume. A lot of people met there. I'm I'm still I'm yeah. very good friends with Jill Clark. Do you remember Jill, the, sure. the makeup yeah, artist? Makeup, yeah. She met her husband there. He was in TV yeah. and I they come over our house uh, from time to time. They live in the same town as us over here. It, so. it, it really is. It's like high school, you know. Yeah. Say, I, was, I was the class of 99. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 2000 but, uh, here. Yep. Yeah, 2000 exactly. <laughs> so we yeah, we all intermingled. But um yeah, so so uh, I had interviewed with Debbie and uh then she, you know, she said, well, uh, it sounds like you probably would be better suited after she saw my portfolio and saw all this magazine work. Because I, I actually worked for someone else who's famous in this industry or, or worked alongside him. And that was George Napolitano. Oh, yes. I, I, was, I was at Starlog. I was the Fangoria uh, uh, art uh, designer slash art director. I, I wish I remembered that. I just I actually just talked to George. Um, you did. For one of these, uh, as of as we're recording this, I haven't posted it yet. But I interviewed George. I would have, I would have mentioned you. I remembered that, and I totally forgot that you were. Oh, that's there. Yeah. I mean, again, so I, I was mainly, I was mainly doing Fangoria, and how, and, and of course, I would just jump in whenever I wasn't working on that magazine. 
and then do some wrestling stuff. Look, I would do teeny bopper stuff. I do Starlog too. Um, but the best was remember this guy? Of course you do. Burt Sugar. Oh, yes. Of <laughs> course. With, with Viking Magazine. Of course, with so, the hat and the cigar. Oh, all the time. God. Yeah. He, he, he was a character, man. I can't uh, tell you how many times Burt Sugar comes up on this show. It's ridiculous. I would have never sure. predicted how many he, he times. He wrote the Wrestling for Idiots. So he, he did. Him and Captain Lou. Yes. I, I was there when he was writing that. I was working at Starlog when that was being written. Really? Uh, yep. Uh, and, and, Oh, dude, it's, it's, I cannot remember. We had, he also had, um, the famous screenwriter writing a column for him. You'll know his name. I just, I just blanked on it on the waterfront. Uh, oh, man. Um, well, Ilya Kazan was the director. Yeah. The, but, but the, oh, the, I can't the remember. Bud, Bud, Bud Schulberg. Uh, you know what? I have I a think, computer right in front of me. Let me look I think it up. It was Bud Schulberg. But uh, front. he was submitting, he, he was still submitting back then, you know, in the, in the world Bud, of computers. Bud Schulberg, yes. Bud, Bud Schulberg. Schulberg, right, yeah. So he, he he was writing for that magazine as well. And and, and everything came in, you know, it was uh, it was all typed on a typewriter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, <laughs> it was... had to be transcribed <laughs> by one of the editors there. Uh, yeah, those, 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 those were interesting times. But sorry, um, no, yes, yeah, so I just want to say that, that I had interviewed there um with 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 debbie d and uh they had brought me then to see um the uh the art director of the magazine said you might you might be a better fit here and we got along and everything was great and uh she made the pitch and then you know next thing you know about a, three weeks later i was in there and uh then that's when i met uh met met the met the crew which was again dennis brant Kevin Kelly, who is uh, Kevin Kelly was uh, I again he he when he was in the office it was just like uh, the two of us would definitely have a have a blast just just you know ribbing each other but oh he, he got, was great he yeah. got me really good on the road <laughs> he um, liked doing that I don't think people oh, yeah. realize how Full much school. of a ribber how much yeah. of a ribber Kevin Kelly is but he is oh, he's such a talent I cannot. <laughs> I cannot believe that they uh, they they just didn't see. Oh. Yeah, I mean they they saw it what he could do. It's ridiculous uh, because it shows you, especially when you. I don't talk too much about current wrestling, but when you look at who they have now, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's all about looks. It's all about right, looks. Exactly. Kevin Kelly's not going to be you know on the cover of you know uh, GQ or something anytime yeah, soon. For radio, yeah. Who who cares? He's great. Right. He's great at what he does. You know, and and it's all become about very attractive looking microphone holders. Like that's exactly. really what they what they want, and that's what they have. And more power and to them. You know what? Uh, again, that's probably why you know we've got to look at ourselves and say, yeah, we kind of are old farts at the same time. Because yeah, we grew up with Gordon Soley. My God, <laughs> right, right, Gordon Soley. Or I mean, you don't even have to go back that far. I mean, Jim Ross, for God's sake, you know? Jim and Ross, yeah. But it's exactly. it's it's more the backstage people. What I love is the backstage announcers. That is truly a lost art. Like I'll yeah. watch yep. I'll watch some of these segments. Like I'll be watching an old pay per view or whatever. Mean Gene, you bring exactly. you know. I mean, look, no one's going to be Mean Gene. He was, the, he was the greatest at doing that of anyone. 
and you watch him backstage with whoever he's interviewing, and especially when it's large yep. groups of people, mm-hmm. and you sit now, and you're not a kid anymore, and you can appreciate, my God, the work that went into blocking this whole frigging thing out and planning who says what, when the other guy comes in, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to react to that. It ends perfectly tied up with a bow. And, and mean gene is actually contributing, not just contributing, but holding together the entire segment. Mm -hmm. And that is a completely lost art. Now you just have people that they are there. They hold the mic they ask one question and then the talent completely takes over. Sometimes they even grab the microphone and walk away and the person's not even in the frame anymore. That is a, it's a completely lost art. Absolutely. That's uh, I mean, part of that coach just goes with the scripting too. Right. That, you know, it was, it was just so much looser. I mean, shit, even for me, it was when I got, when I got there, it was still pretty loose. And yep. I feel like they only started tight clamping down on it right around when, whenever it was they were going public. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It started around when they went public and, fucking- and when Russo left. When Russo left, they started to slowly get more towards like a TV writer's room gradually. Because, right. But, but it was also because of shit like the PTC, too. Yeah. I remember those assholes out there. Um, pick with pick with their picket signs. Oh yes, I remember that uh, picketing yeah. out in front of the building. And, it, and yeah. at one point, I I was just so you know we were, we were sort of sitting there like you know it's like a terrorist group out there keeping us from going to lunch. And finally, I got so pissed off, <laughs> I, was, I, I ran out there and said something. I don't know something to the effect like you know you assholes are just gonna be applying for jobs here in about six months. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they but made a they made an angle out of it with right to censor. Right. Yeah. Oh, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> that was an answer to the PTC, RTC, PTC. But but I think what was yeah, cool, but two of my favorite performers that they stuck them with that gimmick. With, yeah, with Ivory and uh, and Stevie Richards. I'm not saying it was great or anything, but but that is well, the thinking behind it. You know, they I, made it good. Yeah, but um, I wanted to say because we've been talking about this, how you take it for granted, but. At the time that we started, and I say we because, look, I started less than a year after you. I mean, it's really close. At the time that we started, there was still some of that wrestling influence in the office where there were a lot of wrestling people, like not, you know, in the office. Sure. You know, like you said, you had the Dennis Brents and the Kevin Kellys and Terry Taylor, and you had people that had been there. Hillbilly Jim at an office. He was in the home video department, for God's sake. And you even had and you had people still who had been there from the beginning of like the expansion and everything. There were still some people there. And I I imagine but I imagine it's very different now in terms of like the influence of wrestling people on the corporate side. I just don't I don't think that that is anywhere near what it was. No, I mean, again, it was it just. The, the wrestling we grew up with and, and that we were involved in and part of, I mean, that's, it's gone. It's, and I, and I, I can't see that, that coming back necessarily. And it's definitely, it, it, that, that was being eradicated in the office way back when, when we were there. And that's partially why I 
couldn't, you know, I, I, it wasn't the company that I wanted to work for anymore, you know? Right. Uh, uh, right. I, I, to, to quote someone famous, I, I, I sort of lost my smile. All, all of the, <laughs> all of but, the uh, real, all of the real old timers that, you know, had even worked with Vince's dad. They were really like Blassie was out yeah. of the office and, well, you know, Blassie left the office and, and Monsoon had died just before uh, I got there. And I think he was still pretty sick when you were there. And like the influence of those kind of people, yeah. which even through the nineties, they were around, um, that was ending. Well, the, yeah. So, so the other thing too, is there was so much television at that point, they were on the road all the time. Right. So, you know, it used to be where uh, Raw was taped one week. So so that I don't want to say they had off, but they had more time where they weren't traveling as much. That was before I, I got there even. I think they started going weekly by the time I got there in 99. Yeah, right. the idea of, of doing like weekly. I mean, obviously, they were always doing house shows on top of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, TV in the old days, right? You do like your month's worth of TV at one taping. Or exactly. Something. Or you do, like you said, the Raws would be like alternating weeks. The idea of doing like, not, we're not talking about house shows, but doing live, multiple live television broadcasts every sure. week. That's a game changer. We take it for granted now because it's been that way for years, but oh my that, God. It, yeah. it was not like oh, that. Yeah. It was no. a, not like that. The biggest challenge in those days was the house show grind. I mean, you had you had mm-hmm. an A, B, and C tour going on. I mean, and C would be like the high school gyms and stuff. And they were running almost every night. You, you hear mm-hmm. about guys saying, I didn't go home for like 40 days. Like I was just on the, because it didn't even pay. I'd get a day off and I'd be back the next day. Why am I going to go home? You know, I'm in, I'm like a thousand miles away from home. So, I mean, like, in a way, it's weird. It's like a paradox where, yeah, there's way more live TV being produced. But now the guys and girls get to go home every single week to their family. Like, they they, they get a couple of days off. So, it's like a it's like a give and take in a way. You know, they didn't have that back then. But um, what I want to say is that, and I, I said this earlier, um, when I started there, and I've said this on the show before, our department, and I'm talking about publications before you abandoned us, but our department <laughs> was, you know, we had more fans, I guess you could say marks, per capita than most departments oh. did, than most departments did. Like we were able to hang around and talk wrestling. That was not going on in accounting or legal <laughs> or, you know, like <laughs> we, we had a great time doing that kind of stuff. And it was very cool because I didn't know what to expect when I got there. Because, and I'm talking, and, and so like you in particular, for example, well, you you're a graphic designer <laughs> on a magazine. There's no reason for me to think this graphic designer is going to be talking in wrestling slang and and like talking about <laughs> WWF of the 70s. Like you don't expect to hear that from a magazine designer because a lot of the other magazine designers, they were just, they were art people. That was their thing was art. It was not wrestling, you know? But yeah, I I guess that was my thing is why can't you have a, you know, a, a designer come in and, and know the product. Wouldn't that make more sense? You would think. Yeah, you would think exactly. You know, I I could have kept doing what I was doing with, with the other mags, but I no, but uh, honestly it was like, 
you know, I, I had this, you know, th this dream of becoming a pro wrestler as a kid, right? So I, I remember, you know, back in, uh, I think it was, I, I want to say it was 1990. I was bringing uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, up to Boston to go look at a couple of schools up there. And it was my first time driving 95. And I had no idea, you know, I was what, 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, something like that, driving up uh, the uh, 95, the interstate for the first time going north. And, uh, you know, I knew where Stanford, where Stanford was, but I hadn't like made the connection yet until I'd seen the, the flag flying at exit nine. Right. And at that point, I said, I'm going to work there. I'm going to I'm going to be a part of that. And, you know, time was, uh, I, I was my first year of art school. Um, and uh, I, I, had, I hadn't given up hope on becoming a wrestler yet. You know, I, I kept myself in shape. I, I, I did wrestle more with my friends at, at that point. And, uh, you know, I was a gym guy. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, 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 I was working towards probably, I'm not the tallest guy. You were definitely in better shape than any of the rest of us there. I can tell you that. I mean, that was a, that's a fact. There's no yeah. denying that. Well, yeah, and that's after I broke my neck. Well, and that's part. Well, that so that's that was the problem. Um, I, so this this was the early '90s. Um, of course, I was in school, so I wasn't gonna. Really, I, I was doing something else at that point. But after school ended and I got my first job and started making some money. Um, I'd been going to the gym a lot more. Um, I was training with a regular, uh, you know, a friend of mine who, who was a, a godly, amazing, just gifted athlete. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, screw around. He was also, he happened to be trained by uh, green beret. Oh, of man. All things. So he taught me a few things as well there. I mean, through pain, of course, I, I had to learn it all the hard way. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd been growing in size. Uh, I'd gotten to, I was probably hovering around that 190 range. Yes. Mostly muscle, little fat. And for somebody who's, you know, uh, pushing five, six, that was, that was something. But again, you know, you know, you saw the WWF model at the time. Right. Those it was, were all, they, were, they were all gassed up monsters. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, it, it just didn't really, uh, I, it, it wasn't really something that I saw as a reality up until, of course, you know, ECW uh, came around. Yeah, and, and at least in the, US, in the U.S. Area. Yeah, and I right. said, okay, so this is, you know, that this is possible. And then, of course, you know, see, seeing guys like Dean Malenko, who probably who who were phenomenal wrestlers as well, really, really got me into saying, okay, this this is possible. Not that I could be a Dean Malenko. But I would have been happy just getting into it part time and, and, and just and jobbing out. That would that would have been great for me, you know. Sure, a um, lot a lot of people did. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. you could have been the next years and you could have been the next Mario. You could have been the next Mario Mancini. Yes, you could have been the next Mario Mancini. Who I yeah. drop his name because he has a wrestling school out here in Connecticut, yes. and a good friend of mine, um, Lucas Chase, who's, who's I, an indie wrestler out here. He is. He he trained with him and he still does shows with him. And I think <laughs> I think Mario has the distinction, I think, of literally 
never winning a match. I, I think that's actually. Oh, come on. No, I think he, he has that. never won a match. I, I actually looked him up on Cage Match once, which is a website really? where you can find wrestlers, you know, match results. And I really do think he's never won a match. If he if he wants to dispute it, he can't. <laughs> I think he's never won. That 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 that's quite the honor, though. That's, that's <laughs> right. Amazing. Hey, yeah. look, there were. That's one of the things oh. I talk about a lot. There were the business was so healthy and thriving back then. There were guys that could make a decent living and go from place to place, and you wouldn't even know who they were. They weren't even yeah. stars. They were just yeah. what they called carpenters, you know. And and they made exactly. a living. They made a yeah. living at it. Um, but I want to ask you before because uh, um before we run out of time on this, which we still have a little time. I definitely want to, I want it. I want you to talk about the DDP story. Cause that's one of my favorite oh my God. moments wow. from, from when we were there of how he just showed up at the office one day before he was even on TV. Right. Yeah. So, well, I, I guess, um, so, um, I, 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 I was lucky enough being that I, I was friendly. I, I was really, pretty good work friends with Dennis, Dennis Brent, who was JR's like, as, as you may have said on your show previously, he did some ghostwriting, yeah. uh, but, but he, he, he mainly handled JR's cookbook. He was, he was good friends with JR. They'd known each other from the, the WCW days, yeah. and even further back that probably to, to, to the Watts days. Yeah, he, he did. And he, and he, and he worked for the Von Erichs before that. Exactly. Yeah, because he knew uh, he he knew whatever the original. It wasn't even an Adobe program yet. I believe it's called the uh, Aldis PageMaker or something. Okay. So he, he he would do the newsletters back then. So that's how how they kept him writing and in the magazine. But um, he then went into talent relations with Jr. After he uh, uh, moved on from being the business manager, a lot of people transferred out of the magazine um, after he was done being the business manager. Uh, he moved into talent relations. Same with Kevin Kelly, who also, uh, you know, rather than being a magazine, he was he was the managing editor of WWF magazine, and then he moved into talent relations so that, he, right. you know, he was your on-air talent plus talent relations. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, Dennis, I guess, was uh, put in charge of DDP coming to the office and meeting with, I'm guessing it was, JR and Vince, and most likely he was going to be signing a contract that day. And uh, being that he was coming up from Jersey, uh, Dennis is like, hey, you know, Dennis had this really gravelly, raspy, but he smoked like two packs a day. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, he said, hey, how do you feel? You you got that big truck. Yeah, you know, I had a Durango at, at the time. It's like, you got that big truck. Why don't why don't we get uh, DDP in here when he comes in and show him around and take him out to lunch? Like, all right. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And again, me being from Jersey and not living in a Stanford area and Dennis being from Texas. And I, I don't, I, other than his drive to work, I don't think he went anywhere. <laughs> uh, we all got into my truck and uh, I don't know what the hell, I guess we went to look for a restaurant and I took a left instead of taking a right. And uh, DDP luckily had his phone and he was talking to Kimberly at the time, I guess, about, I don't know, horses or whatever the hell they were talking about. Um, so he was sort of lost in conversation for a while. But um, he was, yeah, he was in the front seat. Dennis was in the back. And Dennis is telling me, go here, there. And 
we're just we're just getting further and further and further away from the office and i'm like i have no fucking idea where we are nice job and and of course ddp is he he finally gets off the phone he's like so we getting there yet i'm like i don't know where we are this is his first impression i I think we were somewhere in the middle of greenwich at that point which is you know when 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 you think about it that's 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 a few miles away from from the office and i had well, no idea how to get yeah, that it's the next town over so it's just yeah. the next town over yeah but these towns are i mean right stanford and greenwich are huge and right. uh and, and they're just very very heavily populated high traffic all that kind of stuff yeah so you know i was a couple of miles away from the office had no idea where i was finally found somehow we found our way back to the highway this is all pre-gps and all that Right. And uh and uh we got back on the highway and we wound up getting back off the exit and sure enough we get off the exit and I was like, Oh, there's the restaurant, which was the steakhouse right next to the office. That's what really <laughs> so again I took the left hand turn out when I should have taken the right and are you are you talking about Smoky Joe's? No, Giovanni's too. Oh, oh yeah. that is a nice place. Oh, that's a well fancy. we wanted to yeah, ah, Giovanni's too. I think we actually had a company event there once uh, that I remember going to, or maybe always. That's where we do our anniversary parties. That might you know, be what I was thinking. Five of. year anniversary. Oh, the five year anniversary party. Yeah, I have the yeah. clock still on my desk. Yeah, it's, me too. It's we, right we, behind we... my laptop here. My five year <laughs> clock from Linda McMahon. I have it. Cat <laughs> and I have our matching clocks sitting so. <laughs> I, I remember when I got mine, because every for people that don't know, if you're there five years, I think they still do it. They give you a clock. And so like, and then what you do is I was at this function where they had all the five-year people, they had 10-year people, 15-year yep. people, and I got mine, and it's usually like a year lag. So yes. my my actual five years was 05, but I got it, I got it in 06. Yep. And when I was there. I was the five years, and they had one 25-year. 25, yes. And it was Howard Finkel, who yep. who had actually – he'd worked for Vince's dad going back to the 70s, but he was a full-time Titan employee starting in 1980. And he was the only one. He was the 25-year. I'll never forget being a part of that with him because he was such a cool guy. Yeah. I loved Howard so much. Um, but I, but the one other thing I wanted to ask you about too is, in addition to the DDP thing, the other thing I remember you being a oh, part of. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, the, the DDP uh, for that for that entire ride. Once he realized that we were lost, <laughs> did not let up. Oh. I mean, he, he he was just hammering the two of us the whole ride, which was really like you know that 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 was uh, that was the fun part of the story. It was. He was cutting a promo Jack, on the boat. Jack Lowe, Costello, you know, you name it. But, Perfect. But, uh, yeah, we 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 got him back in there in one piece, and he got he got his little piece of flaming on, and he was happy. So wow, and that's his first impression of the WWF. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, exactly. The, yeah. the tightly He's run ship that you know the tightly run ship that they would talk about <laughs> right. back when he, when he was in WCW. Like you got to go up there; they really know what they're doing up there. And then he gets up there, and you get him lost. Uh, poor guy. Little did he know that it wouldn't change much from that point on. He he should he should have said, "You know what? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm not coming." You here, mean though. you didn't like him as as the Undertaker's wife stalker? You didn't uh, enjoy that. Um, he's 
so much better than that. But he is. God. Yeah. But but I also I gotta make mention of too, and I'm squeezing in all the things I want to talk about. But yeah, Memphis, Memphis. That was oh. so cool. You and Aaron, for people yeah. again that don't know. I would never get these cool assignments, okay? I got sent to like Buffalo me, and me you know. Yeah, I know, but at least I was a writer like my job was to interview people. I would always get yeah. the suckiest assignments. No, but- no, no. But 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 so I I I paid for that trip myself. Oh, did I stayed you? At the hotel with Aaron. So you and guys I wasn't authorized to go. I went and did it myself. Which right, I probably should have stayed home. But we were doing it was a big feature in Raw magazine, right? On Jerry Lawler, was that the idea? Yeah, a day with the king. A day, right? And you guys both went down to Memphis. You hung yep. out with him. I think you were like yep. riding around with him too, weren't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember. I, I remember Aaron so, telling me how surprised he was that yep. Jerry the King Lawler drove a Kia Sportage. I do. No, remember. it was a, and it wasn't, uh, no, it, was. Not a Kia. It, was, it was pre-Kia times. That was oh, a, okay. uh, it, it was like a Geo Tracker or okay. uh, it was either a Suzuki Psychic or a Geo Tracker. So right. one of those two, or maybe it, uh, it could have been the Toyota. It might've been that actually. Um, uh, I don't even remember what the Toyota make. It doesn't matter, but yeah. So uh, during the whole thing, I, I forget what it was. We had done the shoot at that point, and uh, I guess all of us couldn't fit in the car or whatever. So I'd hopped in with with the king, and uh, and we just had some really good conversation on that drive, but uh, no, nothing I can really share. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I I can the only king, imagine. The, yes, the king the the king and I are uh, just uh, we, we we're on the same way. We were on the same wavelength at least. Back then, so that could be a uh, whole article a right guy. there. The, the King and I. Yeah, it's just he, he's he he was a lot of fun. I, look, I I really I connected with pretty much everybody. I was lucky enough to um, do a few shoots with with the talent, um, and uh, they're all really great guys. I, you know, again, I'd probably say uh, same same with Kurt Angle, especially. Um, you know, yes. we, we, we had the same distinction. I was, I was the other guy. I think you, you talked about it with Aaron about, um, about him also breaking his neck. So right. we're, we're, we're part of the, the, the group that went and got the Dr. Joe surgery. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we've gotten, uh, we'd watched the videotape. Cause I was like, I was like, let Aaron be the Guinea pig. Cause he broke his neck way after I did. I could, I, I, I was basically like Arn Anderson at that point. <laughs> Oh my um, I, I couldn't even move. I, I mean, I was like holding a cigarette lighter in my thumb because it was so numb and, yeah. and I couldn't feel it. It was just, and, and not good for somebody who's got to use, you know, a, a mouse or a, or a pen tool for their, to make their living. Right. It was my right arm. So many but, broken uh, necks in the office at that time. Just Yeah. I blame the Smith time. machine. It was, <laughs> it was definitely the Smith machine in the gym. Um, it was really? The, yeah. All the overhead roll presses. Because Vitucci broke his, uh, he he wound up blowing out his neck. For me, it was a little different because um, this was prior to me actually going to the wrestling school in Parsippany. I was screwing around with some some big dude, and I idiotically um, w- was having him uh, do some choke slams. Oh boy. On me. And uh, sure enough, he lost me sort of like midair when he was going to get me up and post me up. And uh, 
he of course wanted to still you know follow through on it and he just basically uh whiplashed my neck oh. at that point on the way down so it was, it was sort of like if you hit a car windshield at about 40 miles an hour that i never knew about that wow yeah that's how originally that's how it aggravated it and then from there you know i went a couple of that so that was probably back in 97 or so so you know i i've re-aggravated it in 2000 it was actually right uh the trip to memphis as a matter of fact it was when my neck locked up and it was like oh while you were there yeah so i went another uh yeah it was august of 2000 i believe so um my my neck and yeah it, it stiffened up then i remember i was like sleeping on the floor trying you know so, soften it up um but uh we got back and then i tried physical therapy and all this other stuff and uh uh getting a uh uh chiropractor in the area who had worked on the wrestlers that that was a mistake um <laughs> but uh finally you know when, when we'd seen kurt's surgery and saw that there was no neck brace nothing you know he just he, he he continued to wrestle, which he shouldn't have. No, he shouldn't. Then he react, you know, he blew out another right. disc. I told, so he I broke, went back. He up. broke his neck like three more times after. Yeah, that. exactly. Well, because you know, you you, you take the the painkillers at the time; they were heavy duty, and you think you're Superman. Right. Well, the right? difference is the I difference didn't do is that. right. And you're if you were Aaron getting the Doctor Joe surgery, you're then not taking bumps every night and getting the, hit in the head exactly. with chairs, right. so you can get by. Because if I understand correctly, right, isn't that surgery yeah. where they kind of shave down the bones or whatever? Isn't that yeah, the he, one clean, where they... he, he he cleans it out, he shaves the disc out, the offending material that's hitting the nerves. So it takes the pressure yeah. off, but yeah. in a way, it yeah. structurally weakens the neck, doesn't it? I mean, no, 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 because you're 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 um your neck naturally then um uh, calcifies okay anyway you know you get old and your neck calcifies and uh you, you're basically plating it that way so yeah okay it, it, it's hard it's just hardening of the discs it happens naturally with age so i, I might be thinking about what austin did because austin went a different route didn't he from what angle did he had a totally different type of procedure done well yeah he i mean it's all the same it's basically uh you you, you have you, it, it's an arthritic condition yeah number one um i, I don't get too into it i have to go read all my paperwork again it's been a while <laughs> <laughs> but um but more or less here's the difference you played it, you lose some articulation. So you can't do this, what I'm doing right, right now, which is, you know, looking over my shoulder. Um, with the Joe surgery, you could do all that, which means that, hey, you know, you're basically as as good as new, more or less. The problem is, is that if you don't let it heal, I mean, I didn't really, it, it took me about five years to where I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I feel like I can, do a heavy workout or not that I do anymore, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, you, you can go push some weight around, but you definitely do have to change your, your lifestyle at that point. So, you know, Kurt of course went and took, took uh, like multiple chair shots over the head, you know, within three weeks of getting the surgery. So he was right back in there again. I don't know if you saw the, what they did. A and E did the biography of him and they went into detail on all that stuff. And it's like, Man, it's I, I don't know what the word is. It's just heartbreaking, just soul crushing 
yeah. to see step by step what he went through, like the one break after another break after another break, like just oh my god, just awful, awful. It, it's the it, it's bad. I mean, I on on a much smaller scale, I went through some of that. It's it's freaking frustrating. So I can't even imagine that. Time. You know, you're making your living right. doing that, and and then of and, course you know. And the painkillers you need to take when you're doing, when you're doing that, like, like, you know, you, a civilian is not going to need the same level of painkillers because you're not putting yourself through what he's doing. And then that leads to addiction and everything else. Like we know what happened with him. And that's, Um, you know, that, I guess that's how I've earned my moniker of tough guy too. TGT. TGT. Refuse to do the painkillers. Good for you. I, I played around with those. You know, in 2000, when when the the reaggravation happened again, I, I put it off till 03 until I was sure that I could do that surgery. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously the painkillers was not the way I was going to go. I was like, no, I need to feel the pain until yeah. the pain goes away. Well, that other. that was the era of what we now know as you know all the opioid stuff that like people exactly. didn't really know how bad it was. I remember I had a really bad back. In those days, a lower back related yep. to my kids, believe it or not, like carrying them around carrying constantly. No, I know it sounds yep. crazy, but people that are no, parents that know now. this. <laughs> and from the car seat, that yep. was murder. Yep. Like I messed up. I'm not even joking here. I messed up my lower back where like the, the my spine wasn't even resting on my pelvis the right way anymore. Like it mm-hmm. was really bad. And they put me on stuff, which I think about it now, and I'm like, if I didn't, yeah. if I didn't watch myself, I could have wound up with a problem. They were putting yeah. me on like oxycontin, oxycodone, whatever the heck it was, oxy, oh. whatever. And I mean, there would be I times like where it. I would be flying on a cloud. Yeah. And I think back now, like, oh my god, like that could have really gone south if I wasn't, if I didn't have my head on straight, you know. And that's how it happened to a lot of people. Well, basically, you know, you're popping heroin into your body. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I think about it now. Like, no, it, it was like candy. They were giving it out like nothing. Yeah, just, of course. Here's Bad here's another almost. prescription. Oh just in, just in case you need more. Here's another prescription. Okay. I, remember, I, I I remember getting the somas from my doctor at that at that when when I had mono. If you if you remember, that was right before I got there. I heard that was right before story, you got. So. Oh yeah, I never. It's like God, I never lived shit down in that place. <laughs> I heard about it, right? Yeah, yeah. the the monk, yeah, because my neck was blown up. That probably didn't help things, but uh, yeah, that that was another one that 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 was famous with all the uh, with all the guys in the nineties. So it was the was the somas to knock you out, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and boy, they sure did. I don't know what ever happened to that if they're still being used or not. Well, on, on this very uplifting note, and really, <laughs> I <laughs> I have to thank you for being a part of the show and coming on sure. and talking about all these uh, all these we, amazing we stories. About design. <laughs> no, I know it, it, it's a, it's amazing how the time flies with this show, and everybody's like, "You should make it longer than an hour. You should go two hours." And I'm yeah. like, "You do a two hour show. You do that. I do a one hour show. I I have right. other things to do. No, <laughs> no, but I I'd rather have people wanting more than not, you know, than than like just being bored. But we'll we'll do it. Do we'll, it again. We'll do a part two for sure. Uh, I always say that to everybody, and I mean it. I'm going to start repeating guests eventually. I'm not going to always have new guests and we'll talk about design stuff. But honestly, I mean, like 
this is the stuff that people love to hear because there's so many people that worked in that office that their stories never really got known or shared. And I, I like giving people a platform on this show to do that. Yeah. So you are welcome back anytime, my friend. It's it's fun. It's just fun remembering some of this stuff. And geez, Fall Guys, wow. Not all about it. Yeah, I know. I'm re- I'm re- I'm reading the annotated version now, which if you haven't, you should read it. It's incredible because it cuts through all the bullshit. No, it's it's a great read. It's like Marcus Griffin doesn't is lying yeah. here, and th- this part's true. This part isn't true. It's a great book. You should check it out. No, but- the last the, the last thing, and yeah, my brother still gets the 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 Meltzer sheet to this day. So uh, last time I was there, it was like. Uh, do you want to read it? And I was like, ah, you know, because I haven't been reading. I, I don't even read it anymore. That's how I, back in the days, you know, I, I used to read the sheets. When I didn't have TV when I was in art school, so I couldn't want. I'd have to go to like my friend's house. Luckily, right. we were in the Philly area, so we we got to watch ECW at least. Or I don't. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, we went from Eastern Championship to ECW at the time. But uh, but I was surviving on reading reading the Meltzer sheets when I go up every couple weeks back home. But uh, yeah, I just got to read about Anoki. Uh, yeah, but I, I really don't do much anymore. That was a huge one, and he did a great write up when Vince retired too. He had like a, it was like an epic. It was the kind of thing that only he can do. Right, exactly. No, really, but uh, but so I, I was I was glad at least to pull you back in just for, for this for yeah, yeah for this limited time and this and, I can do it helps me it helps me remember the last uh, the well the the early two thousands at least so. Good. Well, this has been as much fun and more as I knew it would be. So thank you. All right. There you have it, folks. My conversation with my old friend, Marco, Marco Torelli. I hope you enjoyed listening to us catch up with each other. And I'm being very honest when I say that 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 phone call, that conversation was probably the first time that we had talked to each other, especially for that length of time in easily 15 years so that was a blast thank you marco i will come through on my promise you will be back again we will talk about art and design and i can't wait in the meantime next week episode number 47 i think you're going to get a kick out of because it is kind of a meeting of the minds uh particularly as it pertains to the wrestling news here at arcadian vanguard and for those of you that also listening, listen to Wrestling Observer Radio, you will recognize the voice because it is Semp himself, Mike Sempervivi, my guest next week for episode 47 of Shut Up and Wrestle. So do listen and keep listening because as you've heard me talk about, we've got other great guests that are um, on the way. I've got Bill Apter coming, the great journalist, writer, reporter. He needs no introduction. He's on the way. Independent wrestler Attila Khan. Wait till you hear me talk to Attila Khan. He's got some great stories about working with and knowing people in the business like Harley Race, Pat O'Connor, Bruiser Brody, kind of growing up in the Midwest as a fan, as a wrestler. That's going to be a lot of fun. Still have my 50th episode on the horizon. I will be filling you in on that in the weeks to come. I am super excited about that. So there's so many reasons to keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. And how can you listen to Shut Up and Wrestle? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's our website, suawpod.com. And in addition to the website, you can get it anywhere you get all your other favorite podcasts. I'm talking about Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify. I go there a lot. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those places. 
You can find Shut Up and Wrestle. I also encourage you to join the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group. Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. The party never stops at the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group. So please do join. I also mentioned it a few minutes ago, the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. I hope you are listening. We all put a lot of effort into that. Uh, Mike, Brian Last, Jace Nakarado, Lou Kippelman, and myself. It is a labor of love every single day. Listen to the fruits of our labor at thewrestlingnews.com. Also, my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. If you are interested in getting yourself a copy, if you haven't yet, go to Amazon, go to barnesandnoble.com, and you can get a print copy, a digital copy, uh, um, an audio recording read by myself. If you'd like a, a signed copy, reach out to me at Solomon at yahoo.com, and we can work that out. You can also get me on, on my social media platforms on Twitter or Instagram. I am Brian R. Solomon. And also, if you go to my Facebook page, my author page, you can get to me there. That is Brian Solomon Writer. Any of those social media platforms, you will also find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web, another great way to keep in touch and to keep up with me. If you'd like to pick up some of the magazines that I work on, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the granddaddy of all wrestling magazines, is available at pwi-online.com. In addition to Inside the Ropes magazine, where you will find in the current issue with Jim Cornette on the cover, you will find part one of my in-depth breakdown of wrestling's territorial system. So you do not want to miss that. It comes with a map, for crying out loud, a poster map. You got to get this thing. And that is InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, I take my wife everywhere, she finds her way home. So long, wrestling fans. 